I'm Eamon. I'm Merlin. And we're a gang. And his NB. Episode four. Back at it with you for another great week of talking about all the things that we watched this week. It's myself, Eamon, and Merlin here again. <sighs> it's been a long week here in oh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. A yes. uh, very snowy week. Uh, I've been fighting off a little bit of uh, the creeping in of illness. So if I feel a little groggy, groggy today, uh, that's the explanation for it. But I'm ready to get talking about some of the stuff that we've been seeing. Oh, yeah, definitely. We've got a lot for you this week. We've got uh, the second part and surprisingly final part of the Salt Lake City reunion. Plot twist. Right. We were expecting three parts from them, and I think we had been told there were three parts, but um, there's only two. Um, we also have uh, the next episode. This is episode 16 of season 7 of Potomac. Uh, we also have season 12, or sorry, episode 12 of season 5 of uh, Real Housewives of Miami. Just a quick trigger warning. Um, during the um, Real Housewives of Salt Lake City and during Real Housewives of Miami discussions, uh, there are discussions of both attempted suicides and successful suicides. Um, so if that is something that is going to bother you, please, please, please skip those sections. Do not put your mental health at risk. But first, as, as always... always Jinx. Uh, drag Race for this week, RuPaul's Drag Race, uh, episode five. Are we on five? Yep, sure are. It feels like, God, there's still like, what, 13, at this point, 13 queens still yeah. in the competition. It's a lot, but this was a really fun episode. We got our first uh, design challenge of Yay. the season. Um, and we'll definitely get into that uh, when we get to the main challenge. But uh, obviously, from the last episode, Sugar goes home. Very, very sad. Spice is very sad. She's crying a lot in the the opening of this. Like, a lot. Which, like, I get for a reality standpoint, but it's like, you're going to see her see in, like, a couple weeks. Also, look in the mirror. Uh, oh, my God. That's so terrible. If you're missing her face, look in the mirror. I'm just saying. Uh, yeah. They're twins. It was, so, Spice is crying like her dog died. Which, I mean, like, we talked before about how their twin relationship is so close and, like, almost too close in oh, yeah. the sense of they don't, haven't really ventured off without the other in the past. So, I think that's kind of manifesting. Um, the only other thing from, like, this, like, little intro part from the end of the last episode was uh, Spice getting a little upset towards the end and basically being like, there's girls that don't deserve to be here over sugar. Do you mean Spicy's getting a little spicy? I wasn't going to say that. But, you, of course, you would take that baton. And of course I would. And <laughs> I got to say, this is why I, I love um, Mistress Isabel book. She's just like, girl, just say it. Say who it is. Say it right now. Like, and just keeps prodding it in a way where it's like, yes. But, and... Everything is hinting to that. It's obviously uh, Aura and the fact that Aura was also in the bottom. You know, I think, I don't think Spice was wrong necessarily. I think there's an argument to be made about who did worse in that Snatch Game performance. But yeah, I mean, at least Sugar had something. Something. Some, I mean, th she had a joke. It, <laughs> it didn't land, but 
Any, either way. Um, so we go into the workroom the next day, and then we get our first mini challenge of the season. Reading fi- challenge. Finally a mini challenge after, you know, the weeks of all the truncated episodes and trying to fit everything in. Though this reading challenge, I will say this, the reading challenge was very good this episode. I wonder if part of that is the fact that it only lasted like two minutes and they really gave most of them only like one read each. Mm-hmm. They only really gave a second read um, to a couple people. Yeah. Um, and they were mostly people that they were considering standouts. Giving the giving the win to. Yeah. But everyone I would say did pretty su- there was no like complete duds as we've seen in past seasons. Yeah. I think no clunkers. I've been worried in like of whether the reading challenge should like exist going forward because of the sort of newer generation of queens and whether they kind of like have that proper understanding of how to read in the sort of more traditional sense of what Mm -hmm. we saw in like Paris is burning or inspired the challenge, but everyone did really well. I think, um, my, even though she didn't win, my favorite read was, was Lux's. Hold on. Did Rue even give that intro to the reading challenge this year? I, I think she did, but I, I'm not remembering her giving the full in the grand tradition of Paris is burning. I have a feeling she did. I just so hard with these hour episodes because it's like they they probably did it, but they sped it up so fast that it went by. It yeah, just... <laughs> it's like nothing sticks in your brain long enough. Um, but to what I was saying, I really I thought Lux had the best one, even though Lux didn't win the reading challenge. Her read on Marsha. <laughs> Oh yeah, Marshalls, Marshalls, Marshalls. Based on your wardrobe, you're, you're clearly only shopping at Marshalls, Marshalls, Marshalls. Um, yeah, it was. I thought um, I liked uh, Mistress's read on Anitra. The, uh, we know you like to walk that duck, but you can finally get rid of the beak. Oh yeah, the mm-hmm. funny one. That was good. And then Lucy, who ended up winning the reading challenge, she I I. She went there with a lot of the reads, which is which I always like the saying that you know Malaysia should really embrace her first name and disappear like the plane. That was great. I think we um I saw she was uh, I think it was the one she was at Roscoe's talking about uh her snatch game performance as Joan Rivers and how many jokes they had to cut basically because they were like, oh yeah because naturally when you're doing Joan Rivers it's like you're gonna go oh yeah you the, you've got to you've got to paint the wall with them yeah you, you can't skimp on the one-liners if you're doing Joan Rivers. Joan didn't hold back ever, really. And, like, but it was good to see that that joke made it in, because that was someone that I could have definitely seen, like, get put on the chopping block. Well, and what I really, and I think the reason that she ended up winning um, the mini-challenge is because she was giving reads that were not the obvious one. Yeah. Like, if you're go if you're looking at the name since we already mentioned this read Marsha 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 you're either going to go the Brady Bunch route right or you're going to go to something that sounds like Marsha mm-hmm. and they went with Marshalls which is great it was a hilarious read but i think the going the next level in and doing the the missing plane bit right with Malaysia it just it was a level deeper that just really showed off how witty and how cunning her brain is. Yeah. 
I also, to, now that I think about it, I also really like Sasha Colby's uh, read of how Anitra's name sounds like the insurance company where Lucy got her bad facelift. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's like, a, I love a good, like, one, two, like, get somebody that you were expecting in a read. Oh, like, yeah. That's always really fun. But like, as you mentioned, Lucy uh, wins the challenge. And then we move on to the maxi challenge for this week, which is a design challenge. But this time they do a little bit of a twist on the design challenge, which I actually really liked. Oh, you wanted a twist. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> but no, they so instead of everyone sort of having the same brief, so to speak, in terms of you get all this trash and you have to make a look out of it, um, basically everyone's divided into houses. So we have the House of Fassage for Michelle Fassage, House of Cressley for Carson Cressley, and the House of Matthews for Ross Matthews. And you're basically going to have to take items from this, like, home design aesthetic of each of them, mm-hmm. which, you know, I get it, house, house, it's really clever. Um, and then make, not just make looks out of it, but your team that you're in the same house with, you're basically making a collection. So it has to all right. kind of flow in a certain way. Um, which we'll get to when we get to the runway because I had thoughts in terms of that element of it. But, like, I thought that was a great way to sort of twist it on its head and give them a bit more of a um, a bit more of a focus. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it gives a um, – I've always really liked challenges like you were talking about with the best reads or the one-two punches. Yeah. Challenges that are one-two punches. You've got this but also this that you need to do. Mm-hmm. You need to check two boxes. Um, because those are more interesting and they're more like you can succeed in one element and fail in another. And I think those are really, those are really great ways to test a queen's medal. Yeah. Like, what do you really have? How creative really are you? And so we get them going into the the rooms and sort of tearing things apart. You have the massage room, obviously, is more animal print based. You mm-hmm. had a lot of more sort of like they they said like country based stuff in the Crestley room. It was like a which lot doesn't plaids make, and, I mean, it's like old world, like old English, like which I don't really get from Carson Crestley. No, that's more like a it metrosexual. It, <laughs> well, not honestly, really metrosexual. It's kind of. It's kind of an Alan Cumming look. Yeah. I mean, and if you're going to make the connection between Alan Cumming and um, Carson Cressley, uh, don't. Because, um, <laughs> I mean, really, they're just both flamboyant gay men, but that's the only connection. Yeah. And then uh, uh, Ross Matthews' room had more of like a Palm Springs vibe, which... I guess I can sort of understand. Um, they're tearing through the rooms. The, one thing I noted, this whole, the, did you notice the plug, the good jeans by Sunday Riley? Like, which is like a skin, like the plug, like it was like oh, in one of the rooms yes. and Lux is just like, Oh, this is good jeans by Sunday Riley. This is the I same use, stuff I use. I'm taking this home. And it was like, Oh my God, really guys. How much extra did they pay Lux to do that plug? So <laughs> Probably I, none, knowing I, them. I also feel like we just got, uh, uh, we watched the, uh, we talked last week about how we're also wrestling fans, and we watched the Royal Rumble this past weekend, and the amount of product placement that was in that, I'm like, too much product placement on television. If I heard the word Mountain Dew pitch black <laughs> one more time during that Royal Rumble, it was. Geez. It's just like, we get it, you want to sell us stuff. I get. I think that's just the way the world is now in media. Is. Yeah, like, I get it. You know, any. Speaking of, make sure to listen to our ads during our ad break. Yes, please do. <laughs> please support uh, all our good friends. 
on the Sword Retro Media Network. But no, honestly. So also we uh, it gets brought up that um, so Spice mentions how she doesn't know how to sew. And you were you had a reaction to this because she basically says that, oh, yeah, our plan was that if me and Sugar were still here, Sugar was going to basically actually sew everything and I was going to design. Girl. I think that's a that's a bold choice to we see also to assume that both of you are going to make it to all the design challenges really well sure but i think the the, to be so blatant as to say like oh we're just going to work together in this regard and like obviously with design challenges we see all the time of other queens helping other queens Mm -hmm. like and we saw it a little bit with like lux helping in um amethyst this episode um but like I just I thought that was a bold thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> well, and they reiterated it. If anybody uh, watches the um, viewing party at Roscoe's, uh, which is a gay bar in uh, in Chicago, Chicago uh, they do viewing parties and they post the video of it online. They have a lot of the Drag Race girls on, um, but this week they had Sugar Spice and Amethyst. Um, and they reiterated it there. And they just, like, talked about, yeah, that was our plan going in. It's just like, really? Part of me, I, I, part of me is annoyed by it. Part of me is, like, at least, the, like, they're, like, we're, we're not going to, like, try to fake it, I guess, in that regard. Which, hey, that's I mean, one thing. I guess, but, like, no, I, <laughs> I just don't, mm-mm. I don't like it. So we get, um... Uh, they're working on their looks, obviously. Um, Mistress is also pressing um, uh, Spice more to say who it is. And Spice using the excuse of just like, well, I didn't see the other Snatch Game group, so I would have assumed someone was bad in there. So that's what I meant. It's like, okay. Mm-hmm. Mistress, I love Mistress just calling it out in the confessional. Um, and then we also get this sort of like, I guess the, tra- the annual trauma talk you know, session annual, um, annual, (laughs) the weekly. There you go. It feels, it feels like it goes on for years. Um, but no, this actually was, I thought really good of like Jack's talking about being, um, being black and being adopted into a white family and sort of the tribulations with that. I like things that are kind of a little more broad in terms of topic. And like, that's something obviously, you know, and I, and I think she has a real sort of nuanced opinion of it in terms of there's, a lot of things that you have to like a lot of trigger points you talked about in sort of certain conversations and like introductions with other people of like, you know, and, and being considered not black enough. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, um, it's always a blessing to hear stories from people who are of intersectioning identities. Um, because those of us who, are not part of those communities get a glimpse into, you know, some of the struggles that they go through on an interpersonal level. Like, obviously, it's blatantly obvious what they deal with in society. Um, But, you know, in and amongst their own community, it's very, um, very much not accessible to us. And it shouldn't be, right? It's not ours. But, um, it's nice to be given a glimpse into something that, you know, we don't experience every day as white people. Yeah. It's always a good conversation to have. Um, so let's get to this runway. Um, I guess the first thing to start off and kind of our general is just feeling of the challenge, which was that 
I no one did bad. Yeah. Really at all. There was no, I feel like outright duds across the board. Like, I think there were a lot of people who were in the bottom and, and sort of more towards the lower tier where if this was a different season, they probably could have been safe. Yeah. Like, well, also we can talk about, um, the fact that, um, this judging panel was smoking crack. Sure. They were getting, here's my, well, here's my issue to it. I think, it was so good across the board. And we've had times in Drag Race where things are really good across the board and then they have to judge afterwards. I wish, I, Drag Race does this all the time, which frustrates me. I wish they would just acknowledge it. I wish they would just acknowledge everyone did really good this week and we're nitpicking. And sometimes they do, but they only will do it in the last, like, five episodes. Right. But this, because then they're like, we're really narrowing it down and, you know... One of you is going to win this, you know, I guess it's $200,000 now. Um, So, you know, we've really got to be nitpicky, but they only want to do that when it's like the top six or the top five. And it's like, Like uh, have you looked at this runway? Because these are all pretty great. Right. No, but just you don't have to lie to the audience. Like, that's my frustrating thing. And you could, you know nitpick certain elements and put the same people in the bottom, but it was just the way they judged it. Um, like, so we'll get to, let's get to who are the tops and bottoms of the week. So um, the t- before we get to who's the tops and the bottoms of the week, uh, everybody, if you want to see our individual opinions on each of these looks, um, make sure to check out our toot and boot videos on social medias everywhere at a gay and his NB. Uh, that's on TikTok. That's on, Instagram, that's everywhere, um, and we've done our reviews there, as we do every week. Yeah, so let's let's actually, let's start with the tops uh, first. Um, obviously, I think the clear in the wall, clear best of the entire group was Lux Noir London. Like, Completely. It's totally stunning. Like, it was, I was a gas when she came out. So like, we're talking about the real tops and bottoms, not the bullshit that the judges were saying right sure well yeah yes but so lux is in the top uh the zebra print pant that was so i think you know well constructed Mm -hmm. and uh people were talking also i think i don't know a lot about fashion and constructing fashion but like having the lines meet in the way where it didn't Mm -hmm. look like a patchwork and like because obviously you're you're grabbing curtains, you're grabbing pillowcases, right. like where it's like you don't have a lot of fabrics and you have to make it all work and right put it together. And the way the purple draped and the the headdress, I I thought it was just such a well conceptualized look and Correct. and really top yeah. notch. Um, Robin Fierce was also in the top um, with this sort of tartan half skirt mm-hmm. uh, kind of warrior ish thing. I really loved it. I loved the sort of um, embellishments like there was like this stud stud work on the sort of shoulder piece that mm-hmm. i really liked um people didn't like the the sort of like thigh high hooker boots i actually thought it worked with the look i thought it showed off her legs really well i wish it had been brown to match the bandeau uh brown leather sure but instead it was the i think it was patent leather like yeah. it was shiny leather um boots so i mean to me it just didn't go with that outfit. I yeah. mean, they look good on their own. They just didn't go. Um, and then we had Sasha Colby in the top from the Matthews group. I mean, just pure stunning body swimsuit. Um, you know, had a nice um, sort of just overall understanding of how she was going to look and present it 
with the high pony, um, the cape, which she couldn't get off because it was a little too tight around the arms, which is unfortunate. But I mean, like nobody can dispute it. And obviously, and people can say, oh, it was a bathing suit, but it was a really well done, conceptualized, like um, had a lot of elements to it. And it also, I loved how it echoed the... The J-Lo dress. Yes. Which was worn last season by Sasha's drag daughter, uh, Carrie, Col- Carrie Colby. Um, the actual original dress, honey. Yes. Um, not a recreation, <laughs> not a, a mimic, not uh-uh. She paid money. She paid money and bought the actual dress that created Google Image Search. <laughs> but it was it was stunning. And then the fourth top I was in the group was... Malaysia baby doll fox, which both of us were Bullshit. like, I yeah, we were just like, huh. I didn't think it was a top. I this is my other frustration with the sort of like the the conceptualizing and the show aspect of it all. It was more just them emphasizing. So this was you your first time sewing something. Wow. And Why does that matter? Well, it shouldn't. It, it re- shouldn't. It really shouldn't matter. And credit to her. I mean, she did look good. I think in any other again challenge like this this would have been a passing grade you would have been safe right but it was not a top level look to my to me it was like the i didn't like the belt because it felt way too curtain like like it felt like because it was the sort of grommets Mm -hmm. um uh from like a a curtain like i i thought the hat while inventive wasn't didn't look as much like professionally done and there were a lot of girls who had were wearing things that looked like they could be on like a professional runway. Yeah. I mean, what normally with these design um challenges, that is the same level we get across the board. Yeah. What Malaysia did and what Amethyst did is pretty much across the board what we get. Um we will usually get one or two pieces that is just stunningly constructed and then we'll usually get a you know leotard with bags glued to it you know something awful you know that's gonna be in the bottom we know that we didn't get that this time we got a couple that are normally on par with what happens on drag race and then everything else looked like it was made by a designer yeah or at least at the very least bought off a rack yeah, or brought in like like it looked like they brought it with them, and that's a real credit to a, to a challenge like this. We don't like you said we don't get that often in this challenge. But my frustration is that when so many of these looks looked like they were professionally made, when you look at Lucy Laduca and she looked like she could have been a Real Housewife of Beverly Hills in that look. Uh, yeah, I like. Th- she looked like she walked off of Rodeo Drive into a boutique and bought that and had it custom fitted. It looked amazing. And she was safe. Yeah. And Malaysia was in the top. I, I mean, that's, again, no shade to Malaysia because that was amazing work for only having constructed one garment previously. Yeah. Okay, that was stunningly good. But it was still not top material yeah and it should have been in the bottom along with amethyst i agree i don't know if she should have been in the bottom lip syncing necessarily girl but I, that hat i know i think and that cape i think there's others that could have been towards the, the dress was gorgeous the dress i loved but that cape was 
bad. But let's get to the other bottom. So you mentioned Amethyst. I think Amethyst, yes, I made perfect sense. I, I, we both tooted her in our video. I'd like, I can credit somebody if they don't have good sewing ability, if they can still style something that's Mm -hmm. really pleasing. And I think for the most part, she did that. I think she knew how to sort of put a character with it and like, give a vibe that I liked, but when you did look closer, yes, it didn't have the craftsmanship that you would want. Right. In a I mean, challenge. to quote Derek Barry, everywhere you look, there's a him, <laughs> you know, at least there weren't unfinished edges. Yeah. You know? but, but she was tripping on her skirt and yeah. it, was, it was an issue. Then and that we, stole wasn't great. No, but then we get to the other two bottoms and this is where it was like, just so frustrating with the judging. So then we had put Jack's in the bottom, which, which is ridiculous i thought jacks looked great i think the they wor- didn't understand the heathers reference which i thought was bs well it was like ross in the beginning is just like what was your character and then jacks like clearly explains it. it's like yeah i got none of that plaid what? plaid plus a what is that cricket mallet yeah like that's clearly a heathers reference if you didn't get it then then the mullet clearly indicating 80s should have like so and it cinched cla- that in and it was cla- i guess the mullet was a little deviation from the heather's thing of making it no, more but sort it of made like it more jacks. yeah but i thought the work done to it was really good people were saying the fit of the jacket was a little off i, I mean, didn't see that i would have fitted it a little bit better at the bottom of the jacket it ballooned a little bit like right at the top or right at the the bottom there right. of the jacket but that's so nitpicky. And the skirt was great. She made like boot covers. Like I thought she'd put a lot of effort into it. Yeah. And it looked really, really well. And the pleated skirt had opposite patterns on it. That's not easy to do. No. And then we get to Selena S. Titties, which this was just like when they were playing, the lineup was like, okay, Selena's in the top. And they were just like immediately like, yeah, this doesn't work. I was so furious. She, you were, you particularly were really mad. I was almost ready to you know flip a table a la Teresa Judice like you prostitution whore like you know yeah it, it was it, it you know my other frustration was like oh I think it was Michelle that was like oh it's overly it doesn't fit you well it's a little a, a little baggy girl wear Selena in the workroom to Rue literally described what her style was. And her style is like, she pulls from that sort of like streetwear, Latin American, mm-hmm. like sort of quote unquote Chola look where it's a little uh, like baggier pants, baggier shirts. Like that's the style. And I don't like, that's clearly what she was giving all, but it's just also the work into not just the sort of like this like knitted what looked like sort of a knitted top, but then we find out in the lip sync is like a full leotard that she, yeah. that she has with a bra with a, a leather skirt, which leather is not an easy material to work with. with. There was like the construction of that jacket, the puffer jacket that flipped open to be a vest with a cape on it, like. Right. That was not easy to construct. No. That was a very complicated look. Like, I thought it was the best she's honestly looked this season. Honestly. In terms of, of, of everything on the runway. But I, I just didn't understand. I would have put either like aura or spice towards the bottom just in terms of like either the simplicity of the looks or mm-hmm. the fact that like it 
didn't have the same craftsmanship that I think Jackson Salinas did. Like I, yeah. it didn't make sense to me. Um, but Lux Noir London wins. I think that's very well deserved. I mean, correct. The, yeah. Clear, clearly the top look of the night. And then in the bottom we have Amethyst and we have Selena Estides. Um, for third time for Amethyst in the bottom, you know, I was halfway through my, making my uh, picket sign. By the end of this episode, <laughs> but I, think, I was ready to riot in the streets. Yeah, but luckily the lip sync uh, went the way it did. So they lip synced to Queen by Janelle Monae. Uh, Janelle Monae was the guest judge this week. She, I thought, she fabulous, really, good, really great job from her. Um, and you know, Amethyst, I think, did well, like she's done in the past lip syncs. Yeah. But Selena, I thought, really channeled, you know, attention. You know, that gag with the skirt, like timing it to the yes. lyrics of the song. Oh, that was so good. Like genuinely, like played it so well um, and, and really deserved to win that lip sync. I think she earned it in, in a really big way. Um, and, but sadly, Amethyst does go home. I, I, I'm sad by that because I had a lot of great hopes for her. I think I said it last week that I thought she could have been like a sleeper that made it to the end. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, she's really young in her career. She's only like two years in drag. So, yeah. Well, and, and this week, the challenge and the lip sync both illustrate how advanced the game of drag race has become. You can't just be good anymore. Yeah. Like everyone was good this episode in everything that they did. All the reads were great. All the, you know, looks on the runway were, you know, really good. And the lip sync from both Queens were good. You no longer can be good and get by. Yeah. You have to be exceptional. And, um, I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing or a bad thing. I think it creates good TV. Um, I think there I personally, is, I, I think I like it when everyone does well. <laughs> like, I do too, but I also don't. I enjoy looking at a array of queens and going, yeah, this person deserves to go home and feel confident about that. Sure. And the better that these queens get season after season, the more production lies to us and tries to gaslight us into telling us that this queen deserves to go home. Yeah, I agree. That That's more the frustrating thing. It's not even necessarily like it's what they present it and how they present it in terms of telling us. And I mean, like, they can do it if, properly if they want to. I feel like they did that last season when they didn't send anyone home for like six episodes because everyone was like, quote unquote, doing so well. Like, you, they have the ability to do it if they want to. I just think like, you know, just don't bullshit the audience. That's, yeah. that's my bigger issue. But other than that, I thought this was a really great episode. A lot of fun uh, came from it. Um, and very excited to see what happens next week. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we're going to start getting into everything from Real Housewives this week. Don't go away. Well, hello, friends. I'm your pal in the mainstream media. And And I'm the Riz. And, you know, Riz, it takes years of strenuous, dedicated training before you're worthy to step inside a professional wrestling ring. But it takes even more time to develop complex, highly astute opinions about professional wrestling. Am I right? That is correct. Yes. And you know where we can find that? Yes. On the Wrestling Man. That's right. Sidekick Media Services. We are your sidekick in business for social media, video production, and more. Find out more at SidekickMediaServices.com. 
Welcome back to a gay and his NB. Let's get into our Bravo uh, section for the rest of this episode. We've got uh, Salt Lake City up first, the second part of our reunion this season. Oh, boy. This was, I, and I know I was saying last week, I don't think it needed to be three parts. I you were right. I still don't think it needed to be three parts. There were also, I think, a lot of stuff that was kind of left on the cutting room floor, I feel. Like, we didn't get into in-depth with certain people that I feel in, like, their sort of personal story of the season. Maybe it's because they didn't have one that was important enough. And now that I think about it, maybe the season revolved way too much around Jen. Yeah. To where, like... And specifically with Jen not being there at this reunion, it was like, what are we going to talk about other than Jen going to prison? Yeah. I mean, and they did spend quite a bit of time this reunion talking about that. Yeah. So we come back from the sort of cliffhanger of when they're talking about the black eye and Angie talks about that she had heard rumors about Heather uh, and Jen, like, oh, do you think they're in like a sexual relationship? I feel like this was like such conjecture that it was like yeah and honestly i'm just tired of people like dangling the scandal of homosexuality sure um over people and using that as fodder to gain more viewership i just it it was a dull season guys we don't need to throw (laughs) that in there i mean like that that was the it was kind of a really weak cliffhanger because they were just like I heard these rumors. I mean, I never, you know, I was never did anything with Jen. Okay, let's move on. Like it was, yeah, it was, and it was, it, it, got, you know, the tail end of the eye stuff, and and we talked about Heather feeling upset about passing, blacking out, and sort of feeling regret, and and you know, she said like she felt like she deserved it, and didn't, you know, so that's why certain, you know, she didn't pursue answers further, and then it was just like. It's like, oh, that's, you know, we're sorry to hear that you went through the Andy basically saying, we're sorry we hear that you went through this. We'll be right back. And then just this like juxtaposition of like Heather crying and dabbing her tears away as Meredith and Angie H try to like comfort her. And then on the other side of the couch, it's just Angie, Angie K. Hey, we should all take a selfie together. Yeah, let's get a selfie. <laughs> And then the, that entire couch getting up and clustering and taking a cute As selfie. Heather's just like, oh, my life. <laughs> it was like, what is happening here? Um, they come back um, and they get more. Now, now we get more in-depthly into this Heather Whitney drama from the season and sort of where their rift happened and, and what caused it. Um, and Whitney talk, and they talked to Whitney about sort of her healing journey. And healing. H-I-L-L, <laughs> Healing. Healing journey, um, and the trauma that she experienced as a young child, um, and her coming to terms with that, and she was saying that she felt like she was being questioned about it by her cast members, and then we get into sort of this the discussion of this fight that happened after the uh, the big fight in Arizona, where Whitney brings up the rumors in the first place. But she brings up the fight that happened the day after at dinner where Heather and Whitney kind of go into it of Heather saying you made this about yourself, etc. Now, what I will say, I don't think he- I think Heather was very crass in how she said all this stuff. And yes, she sounded very cruel in, in the just like we talked all about your childhood trauma, etc. I think the point that Heather was trying to make in that conversation was like. I told you that we should, you shouldn't bring up the Lisa rumors in this way. And then you got really drunk that night 
and then basically torpedoed this whole vacation by like bringing up these rumors in, in the way that you did. I think that was what her point was. She did not say it in a, in the proper way and, and in a way where even I, when I was watching it, was like, okay, Heather, you need to stop talking because you're sounding yeah. like really insensitive. Yeah. Heather just... I have always loved Heather in the past. Um, and this season, I just... it, I, I just... I get a weird. I don't like her. Well, <laughs> I don't. I like, just, I don't I like don't, it. <laughs> I don't. I don't like it at all. Like, I just. I mean, maybe it's just because her last name is Gay. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm just that easy to to get on your side. But like, I, I just am really frustrated to see her act like this. And sure, does Whitney tend to? have a woe is me sort of attitude and go on a little bit longer than need be on whining about her own things. Yes. And I think that's exacerbated by the fact that she does have a higher pitch and a little bit late nasally voice. So it is a little bit more uh, grating. And she said herself at this reunion that she doesn't always like that. She, well, she calls Heather a master debater and says that it's hard to get your message out in that oh, way. Yeah. And I've been in those situations where you just have to like you you can't get out what you need to say and you you just feel like overwhelmed with trying to argue and then being drunk on top of that is just like of course, of course things went the way that they went. But like I don't know. I'm just frustrated. And then even like Heather admitting at one, like they bring up the question of like, is the issue, you know, some of Whitney's resentments of the fact that you hold Jen to a different standard in the sense that you let Jen, you still are willing to be friends with Jen after all the more egregious stuff that Jen has done to your trust and your friendship. And Heather's just like, yes, I definitely hold Jen to a lower standard. And it's just like, like part of me is like, okay, I guess I'm glad you're admitting to it, but it's like, the just the way she's just like like you talked about it last week of her just acceptance of how Jen treats her and just being like, Yes, that is that's what I do. It's like Okay. That doesn't but, make it right. But like, can we delve into how that's fucked up? Like like I get that you have owned that you do that, but you have not accepted the fact that that is not okay. And Lisa brings up more text messages. She literally has at one point has like a pamphlet. We don't see the insides of it, but she just like flips through it. But we see some of the text messages on screen where Jen's just trashing Heather all the time. And again, it's just like Heather, I think Heather at one point says, "So Jen's a horrible person. What do you guys want me to do?" It's like stand up for yourself. Like be like be willing to like sort of full throatedly with your heart say this is wrong. I and I I agree in the sense that it's like. I don't think Whitney offenses and calling and wanting a friendship break, which that part is just like so annoying to me of like, well, you never told me there was a friendship break. It's stupid. It's really dumb. But like, also, can we talk about how she, how Heather found out about that through Jen who twisted what Whitney said in the first place? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, and Lisa brings up that it was like Jen deflecting in that moment because that was also the day that like Jen and Heather got into that fight at lunch about sort of Jen being a terrible friend. Yeah, it was a pointed manipulation at this at this point I have I don't assume anything good about Jen because like 
No, none of it. None of it. No, like she's, a good a good model is right now. Just don't trust Jen Shaw. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's don't give her your email address and just don't trust her in general. Keep, keep your social security number and you'll be fine. Um, but like, in and oh oh, and Heather also brings up that like she was also going through a lot at the time. I mean, she revealed that she's getting sued by the Church of Latter Day Saints for which, her book. Which that has to be daunting. Yeah, like I can't imagine an entire religion suing me. What? <laughs> what? And but I think. I think where I kind of like am on nobody's side in this regard, I'm a little more on Whitney's side now after this reunion because I think Heather is just like being either glib or, you know, just not willing to actually listen in this regard. But like, so they, they, bake, they break for lunch at this point and then they go back to their trailers and Whitney and Lisa are eating lunch discussing it. And, we, and Whitney's just like, she's doing it. She's being, she's being a victim. She's, you know, all this, uh, this stuff. She's passing blame and she's like making it seem like she was the one that was just being attacked or whatever. And it's like, yes, Whitney, you're correct. You're also describing everyone on this cast. I would say almost everyone in this cast in certain like plays a certain level of like victimhood. And when I say in may like for example in Whitney's case, I'm not even talking about in the sense of her trauma. I think that's a you know, I think for seasons now Whitney's like talked about like I'm not anyone's doormat. They're manipulating me to cause drama and it's like it no, they're not. Like you're it was the same stuff frustration I had last season with the whole did Meredith call the feds on Jen thing where Whitney tried to pass the buck on Lisa and be like, Lisa made me question. It's like, no, she didn't (laughs) like you're to be fair. Lisa did plant that idea. Maybe it wasn't on purpose. I don't think it was. I think it was an innocent musing out loud. I think but the that metaphor is what planted that idea into Whitney's head that Whitney then picked up and ran with. Whitney's metaphor last season was like, Lisa has the baton and I'm willing to grab and take it. It's like, okay, but that like, that's on you. Like, I don't like Lisa can't force you to, right. Lisa's not holding a gun to your head. Right. And that's where I get frustrated with her, but it's like, my my I do feel like there is a difference though between the rest of the cast claiming victimhood and things of that nature, which and what um Heather is doing. Because I feel like everyone else is at least if you're looking from their point of view, that claim makes sense. Sure. Yeah, I can't see where Heather is the victim in this. Not, I can't. Uh, not in terms of the, the dynamic group. with Whitney, I would say definitely. Not in terms of her dynamic with Whitney. I think I Heather, would say even with the rest of the cast. I think with Jen, yes, sure. But I don't. But she tries to turn around and take the the vulnerability and the frustration that she has with Jen treating her like that and pass it off and passes it off to the rest of the cast. 100%. She manipulates, she, I don't know if manipulates the right word, but she twists facts to make herself feel like the victim. Whereas everyone else is just seeing things from a different point of view. Yeah, I agree. I think there's a fundamental difference there. Um, so they come back with, uh, the segment with the husbands. There wasn't much to talk about with this husband segment. Only, only thing I liked from this husband, honestly, I am 
I'm becoming a fan of John Barlow. I kind of like how he stood up for himself and Lisa and like the, and kind of called out Meredith and Seth of being like, you didn't have to make those jokes behind our back. Like particularly the jokes about me. Like I didn't do anything to you, Meredith yeah. respectfully. So like, and kind of forced because Meredith had all the season has been playing this game of like, well, I wasn't saying things and I, but when you looked and they were making jokes about Lisa and John's business and they, they were doing it. Yes. But there is a difference between making, I, yes, I get that they're sure. on camera and it is being broadcast to the world, but there is a difference between making jokes in the quote unquote privacy of your own home mm. with your husband and, um, and broadcasting those things to other people. Um, I, I, the only time I've disagreed with Lisa in recent history has been when she tried to go after Seth and say, Seth, you should have stood up for me against your wife. No, no, I'm sorry. Yeah. That's my spouse. I'm ride or die with my spouse. Yeah. And behind closed doors, when there's no cameras, I might, Tell her that that was inappropriate and that she needs to address that with you again off camera before this airs. But there is no way that I am going to side with another woman against my wife on national television. No, I absolutely not. I I think the reason I like this though is that I think for a lot of the time on Salt Lake throughout the three seasons, John Barlow's kind of portrayed as this kind of like to be crass about it, kind of portrayed as Lisa's bitch, like that Lisa yeah. guides him around and that. And I thought he kind of in this moment, like showed that he is an equal part in this relationship. And I honestly, I think they're kind of, I appreciate their relationship more than anyone in this group in terms of the marriages. I think they have a good dynamic and it's, you know, I, I, it was good to see him sort of stand up in that moment, but that was really the only thing from the husband segment. There was talk about yeah. that, the bathtub scene. Don't care. Don't care. <laughs> Don't really care. Um, but then they come back and then we get into this full Jen talk. This is the big stretch of everyone of talking about Jen pleading guilty and everything that sort of came from that. And then this is where we get kind of the spicier moment of the whole reunion, which is between Meredith and Andy. Cause Andy is asking Meredith about, this sort of like, why did you flip on in terms of now being so supportive of Jen after all these years? And especially what happened last season, like you seem to sort of just completely do a 180 and we don't really know why. And while I didn't understand Meredith being like, well, I have to wait till the sentencing in certain respects to like be as vociferous and like my upset feeling upset about this. I didn't really understand that she's been found guilty by this point, but she brings up the fact that part of it is because that she had gotten information even before any of the other women did that, that Jen had attempted suicide and Mm -hmm. that because of her personal history, we saw on the show with um, her nephew who had attempted um, and sort of, and which all, which what I was saying earlier, I was surprised that they didn't go into more depth with that on the reunion. But anyways, and Meredith says like, that's a line where it's just like, I, I've, put everything aside and I say, I'm not going to, you know, attack this woman. And I got her point. I, I actually think, and a lot of people were like, Andy was kind of like even pushing it. Cause Andy just kept kind of being like, really? Like you have nothing to say about her going to jail and you don't have, like, you know? And I was like, 
I kind of am more on Meredith's side in that regard because it is a tricky subject. Um, I mean, it's been tricky the whole season in the way that Jen's talked about it. You know, we've sort of talked about how, it, you know, her bringing this up in the way that she has on the show, it's been a difficult thing for the women to sort of deal with because it's like you can't, it's a terrible subject. Right. Um, as someone who has been in that position twice, um, no, <laughs> uh-uh, uh, sorry, you, you signed up for this to be like, not, not to be like completely callous, but you signed up to have your life portrayed on television. You used your suicide attempt as a weapon in an argument. Yeah. That's what it really felt like. And now you're expecting people to use silk white gloves when handling you. Absolutely not. Like at the end of the day, you frauded. I don't know how many people, a bunch of people for millions and millions of dollars for millions and millions of dollars. And like you literally like decimated the lives of so many people. And I'm not saying that you deserve to have ever been in that mental place. Nobody deserves to be there. But when you take that and then turn it around and weaponize it, like you have weaponized everything else for the last three seasons which she's one to do because she's very like the way especially that first season she's very like just willing to throw anything at a wall in which to get out of a conversation and that's again that's not to say that any of that is fake or that it's like it's legitimate and what i'm saying is also from like i understand from meredith's perspective from an outside person it's very hard when someone throws something out like that to you know sort of desensitize and 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 look at it objectively but here's the but thing. what i will say is that i did not like meredith in this conversation saying i will always fight for the underdog referring to jen as the underdog in this story Absolutely is ridiculous <laughs> she defrauded elderly people of their she's not the underdog like yeah, when you look at those the the interviews on gma of the women that like that she has hurt from this scheme it's like no those are the underdog right those are the people that got taken advantage of that's and that's where i think andy's frustration I understand because it's just like we're not talking about a friendship being hurt or we're not talking about even like things like infidelity or like we're talking about a pretty serious crime. Yeah. And like you're just kind of unfazed by it and they bring and Lisa and Meredith get into it about like, you know, you were in a bubble bath last season, like kind of relishing in it and like being like, well, I wasn't surprised that Jen got arrested. She was saying that she, I don't know if she actually said she was in shock at that moment. And that's why she was behaving that way. But she kind of alluded to that. She tries to say that she wasn't gloating and that there was other stuff in her life where it was more her focus. I, whatever. I, I feel like Meredith in this regard, just referring to her as the underdog just really put a bad taste in my mouth because it's like really girl um and then they get into more sort of like they talk about why they think jen pled guilty after all this time and 
they talk about um uh Heather brings up the sort of like they felt like the sort of money of like having to defend themselves in court was like strangling them and how it was costing them so much and that's why maybe her and, her and coach Shaw came to that decision um and then also that they have been soliciting from other families in Salt Lake including the cast well and that the only cast member that gave them money was, was Angie Angie H. H which like Whitney then puts two and two together and says is that why Jen dropped the whole Shaw exposed stuff that happened mm. Lisa said that she wanted to but that her lawyers advised her that it wouldn't be a smart move and Heather said something similar. Yeah. She was like, yeah, I, it was, you know, I think she said I wasn't going to put my, at my family involved in it because of like, yeah. finances and all that stuff. Um, and also to the other thing of like Meredith calling Jen, the underdog. And then you had Heather being asked about like, why didn't you go harder on Jen is, and she, like, she said that it would be like, you know, I'm not going to say I hate you. And like, don't be my friend anymore or whatever, because just to virtue signal to the world. And it's just like, I know I said this to you at the time, but anytime somebody says virtue signal, it just, it infuriates me. This is Like that, their dialogue is almost worse than the sort of, and I, we've talked about how it's not the same thing about what happened with Jen and what happened with Erica and Beverly Hills. Right. But like the way the women like got criticized for not sort of going harder on Erica, like this is much worse, I think. Oh, not yeah. just in terms of crime, but in terms of like the defense of why they're not going against this person. Well, and the fact that the actual perpetrator was on the cast. Yeah. Like say what you will nobody has been able to prove that Erica actually had a hand in what Tom Girardi and his law firm were doing. Like, so I, why are we attacking her? Sure. Like but, we should have been attacking Jen Shaw. Right. Like, why were we not attacking Jen Shaw? <laughs> and then like they asked Lisa about, and Lisa starts crying on, on like the spot and Heather rolls her eyes, which I, I was like, <laughs> yes, Heather. That was the one time I'm like, as much as I'm a big Lisa Barlow fan, also there was she was not crying. There were no tears. There were no tears. And then afterwards, she's just like, "Why am I so emotional? Aren't you sad, <laughs> <laughs> Whitney? Aren't you sad? Oh my god! It was just like this is how this reunion's ending. I, this is where I was like, we had this discussion when they had filmed the reunion about like whether Jen should have gone or they should have made made Jen go or something. I think she needed to be there at this reunion from watching yeah. it all back because it's just, it's so awkward talking around her. Well, but according to Andy, she was invited to I be know. at the reunion and she declined. It's yeah. Uh, and then, so this like weird, awkward ending of the reunion where like Heather's still crying about everything that's happened and, and stuff like that. And then, Andy goes around to basically ask, what's your one big regret from the season? And Heather says, I regret not going immediately to bed uh, and in San Diego and instead of, you know, and I, so I wouldn't have blacked out in that. And Whitney's just like, okay. Like, and Whitney then later goes like, I thought you were going to say the stuff with our friendship, but okay. Like, like it was so awkward. It was like, yeah. and then to make it more <laughs> We talked last week of how, how Andy just seemed over it this week. Yeah. And he's just like, they get the champagne out and he's just like, well, ladies, I think we've all learned a lot. And I think you've all 
had a lot going on and it's made for a for for a, a great a great season. Um <laughs> Go Jazz. <laughs> they're all like, Go Jazz. <laughs> like I, I just this just reiterates the theory that this is like the meta season. Like this is the meta franchise of the Housewives. Mm-hmm. It feels, and we have said this for years, um, that uh, Salt Lake City feels like a parody of Housewives. Yeah. It feels like these people came on here knowing what Housewives was and performing Housewives. It doesn't feel like people are just being people. It it feels fake. Yeah. It has felt that way from the beginning. Oh, and I forgot to mention they also bring out a birthday cake at the end for Lisa and Meredith. And then they awkwardly try to sing happy birthday. Jeez. It, that that was a way to end this uh season. And but apparently they're going right into filming in like a week or so. Yeah. So and there's rumors that Mary Cosby's coming back as a friend. Well, and they've been doing that with Salt Lake City. Usually they get a down period yeah. between and all the other franchises they do it that way. But on this one, they for the last three, actually I think every season except for between the first and second. They've gone right into filming. They've gone right into filming. I think particularly last season because they wanted to get all of the gen stuff. Mm-hmm. But like and then they ended it so early. It's like, what are we doing? And, yeah, I don't know if it needed to film this quickly. But um, let's get into the other big house. Uh, uh, well, we have two more. But this ho- was a lot of big uh, discussion online from the, this past episode going on uh, on to outside of even the show. Real Housewives of Potomac. Mm-hmm. And everything. Honestly, that- it's my favorite thing on TV right now. Potomac is really great. Um, and we get to sort of this stuff with now leading into Robin's wedding um, and uh, Giselle planning her bachelorette party. Um, we get with the wedding dress shopping with Robin, uh, which literally like Ashley literally pops in to just be like, hey, you look pretty, Robin. And then just immediately drops the tea about me and Wendy and is like, bye. <laughs> she walks in, goes, oh, that's pretty. And then Robin goes, yeah, I really like it. I'm going to go change into something else. Robin walks away. She goes, oh, by the way, Giselle, here's these rumors. I'm leaving now. Bye. Yeah. And what? That, and that, uh, you know, all this talk about what happened at the end of the trip in Mexico and about how Mia being interested in, in Wendy's vagina. As, <laughs> the way that Giselle kept saying the word vagina was like she oh was just gosh. savoring every syllable. And it sounds like a cupcake remix. She literally said at one point in her confessional, like, I'm going to have to talk to Mia about this before I go and tell everyone, because I am going to tell everyone. (laughs) I was like, my God, Giselle. Um, At least she's honest. But then, like, uh, so then Giselle and Robin get to talking, and Robin still hasn't even told her mom about the wedding. (laughs) Oh, Like, what is this wedding? What is, what are they doing? None of this makes sense. I understand, like, I understand why this would be confusing and people would cast out on this. Um, and then they um, talk about the party and Robin says she obviously doesn't want Karen there for obvious reasons from what happened in Mexico. And then says that she's also not inviting Wendy, even after her and Wendy seemingly made up because Wendy was laughing too much at the table 
when Karen was half. And then they did a, a flashback to that. And it's like, uh, she was mostly laughing at the ridiculousness of what Karen was saying. She wasn't, yeah, she and, wasn't. And also all, everyone else at the table was laughing as well. I don't yeah. understand. Like I don't, it just seemed like, again, it felt like a concerted effort. <laughs> And that's where it's like, it just feels like they're trying to ice out Wendy for no reason. Yeah. And that's where it's frustrating. Um, so, and then Ashley literally goes, not in the same day, but like drops this tea at the wedding uh, uh, dress shopping. And then Karen and Wendy are having lunch at one point and she FaceTimes in to just be like, oh, so you got, by the way, you guys aren't invited and you're not in the group chat. Like Ashley, this whole like season just like a little mouse just coming into situations and dropping tea and and like drop starting drama and like it's It's like because they get paid per day of filming um that's that's a good point that's that's a fair point ashley just wants to get in there as much as possible yep um there was also so me and giselle uh were at mia's house to plan the uh bachelorette party well wait they might get paid per episode i don't know whatever either way um She's going to get that money. But uh, they're t- talking about, uh, you know, Giselle's like, what happened in Mexico with you and Wendy? And Mia's implying that kind of Wendy was sort of initiating, I feel. And like that, you know, oh, you clearly wanted some and you were, that's why you were sort of like angry. I don't believe that. In what world is, it, is Mia not the one that coming on in this scenario? Right. Like it's 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 obvious to me. I'm sorry, you played spelunking with Jacqueline in a flashlight, and you expect us to believe you weren't trying to spelunk in the other vagina cave. She's, I mean, she's made it known, and good on her. But like, I just think it it's odd, and and yeah, Giselle is also just prying for any tea that she can get. Um, so Wendy and Karen, they're obviously not invited. Wendy's doing like um stuff on msnbc um uh while this is happening karen's on in a meeting for her forwick holiday exclusive which did you see did you look up that the because it's now on sale do you know how much that candle is no but it's probably exorbitant a hundred and thirty dollars for wax and a piece of string four pieces well is it yeah, it's four pieces of string. Okay. But like, and also she, I think it said exclusive edition, but it was spelled A-D-D-I-T, like edition. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Karen. Oh, good Lord. You're the, I mean, I love you. You're the grand dom, but like, girl, get it together. Um, So then we're, they're getting on the party bus to go to uh, Robin's bachelorette party. Um, Ashley and Mia being in the same matching outfits, the matching bodysuits with the like, I don't know if Ashley just being like only two hoes <laughs> would think of the same, this same outfit. Cause this is some most behavior. <laughs> um, I, I don't know why I always love it when I, when housewives wear the same stuff. The, this has happened. I feel multiple times across different franchises, oh, yeah. particularly on Beverly Hills. It happens a lot. Um, so they go on the party bus. There was also a little thing where Sharice was like in her confessional being upset that she wasn't planning it, which like, okay. Girl, why would you be planning it? Her bestie is Giselle. If anybody, it should have been Giselle. And Giselle didn't even plan this. So you're like third in line to be upset about this. Well, and I think she was maybe more upset that Mia was like the co-host, but like 
Mia was only the co-host because she could get her into the strip club. Right. Because <laughs> that's, I mean, that was her place of business. I mean, not specifically this one, but like that, that was her forte. She got connections. She got connections. She made sure to go to a place that had steak and lobster. Mm-hmm. Which was a big thing last season. Mia, Mia made it clear. I did not go to work in a strip club. I worked at a gentleman's club that served steak and lobster. <laughs> exactly. Which had strippers as well. But that's fine. Entertainers. Yes. Um, so they get to the club. They're eating. They're uh, seeing the naked. There's like, I don't know what this, like they were, they were in like what looked like sh- like fish tanks. Like. It was a yeah. There were the there were fish tanks where they were taking showers, and then there were girls in cages, and then there were it was a lot girls up on like platforms, and it was like girl, <laughs> girl, <laughs> <laughs> and we said girl, um, no, but and then so they're starting to have discussions. Um, at there, Ashley gets asked about how the divorce is going with her and Michael. And I did not understand this, but like Ashley being like, I mean, we're getting along a little bit more. Like we're, we're getting into a better place. And she was like, she's doing the whole coy, like, you know, Oh, I don't know. I don't know what to say. (laughs) And it's just like, girl, get, get literally. What did Candace say? Candace said, if I had a chance to leave Gollum and take half his money, where the train I want to, where's the train I want to get to it. This was the similar, um, a similar reaction as to what Utica had when she was asked yes. by Rue whether she smoked pot. <laughs> and she was like, I, I'm, 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 no, but yeah. And it, it was very much that. It, uh, like uh, almost implying that she might want to like re like get back with Michael, which is just like, after no. everything you have been through with this man, throw him to the curb. I was so hopeful going into the season that Ashley would just like wise up and have the plan that she had been devising for all these years to just like take his money. And then she said something about him dating women. And I'm like, women, women, <laughs> where's that man is on grinder. Where is Juan Dixon? Check, check. We need to, we, we Where, who has the, eyes on Juan? All these talk about Juan's DMs uh, over the weekend. Let's talk about these. <laughs> <laughs> that, that uh, blonde girl that looks like Karen turns around and it's Michael Darby. Oh my God. <laughs> <With> Kayla Darby. <laughs> Let's, I mean, I, crazier things would have happened. Um, but like Ashley's like, oh yeah, he's, you know, I'm not dating right now. Cause he says he's not dating. And Candace is just like, well, Chris saw him with a woman of the W. Like a woman, <laughs> but and Candace, you know, as much as she's had her issues with that. And I guess that they're at this point where they're trying to repair it again mm-hmm. for the fourth time. Like Candace, I think is doing the, like, that's what I would want out of a friend to be like, girl, right. he, he's moved on. Like, and Ashley's upset about it and is like, and is like, you know what? I need to move on from Michael. Right. Hopefully she finally does it. And then we get to why we're all here in the first place to talk about Karen more, um, <laughs> particularly Sharice. Um, oh, and she, Sharice starts going off on Karen that like, I've kept all her secrets, which like, isn't this why you guys are having issue in the first place? Aren't you Is the that one who brought up blue eyes at the first reunion yeah, for this show? Yeah. It's like, what are we talking about? But like, so, and then she starts throwing out more accusations. She says that, uh, Karen likes to get drunk and just like, 
be wild that she fucked someone in a bathroom, like fucked like, a worker, like a, a like a server in a in a bathroom, which I don't believe. I like maybe I'm maybe I have rose colored glasses about Karen Huger, and yes, there are people on reality TV that you know act a certain way and they're completely different. But like Karen Huger is a pillow princess. There is no way she is going into some nasty bathroom at a restaurant. Because if it's a server. And getting her back blown out. If it's a server, I can't think they would be more than like like 40 years old. Maybe it's Jax Taylor. (laughs) That would be the only one that would make sense. (laughs) That would be the only one that would make sense. Um, But like they keep implying throughout like, oh, Juan wouldn't want it. Like they keep using Karen's age of being 59 as like, oh, Juan wouldn't want to have sex with you and et cetera. And it's like, but she's just having sex with a random person in a bathroom. Also, isn't Robin in her late forties? I mean, Giselle's in her early fifties. Like, so I mean, it's not that far off. At a certain point, age does become just the number. Yeah, it's I I I don't like the age shaming. You know, or the 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 ageism as Karen learned for that one reunion. <laughs> um, and then she uh, then they start bringing up the stuff about how like because the because uh, Blue Eyes allegedly is Karen's driver, mm-hmm. and they're like, well, no, he's a hotel manager. He's not actually Karen's driver, and that Karen was saying that she needed a driver because she had gotten her license suspended, basically implying that like she, because she's a drunk that she like got her license right. suspended. Uh, it's just, uh, I don't know. This feels like topics that like you gossiping with other, your other friends about this is just feels like egg on your face more than anything. Yeah. But so that, so that ends the episode. We got the finale, uh, uh, next week with, uh, Candace's release party and, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But we, we also got to talk about everything that's been happening with the Potomac world after this episode aired, because Ooh. then talk about egg on their face. Um, people are pissed about oh, rightfully. So I, I, I'm fully with them. So there were all in the last week, if you're on TikTok and social media, there was, I know there was this guy who does like rumor blogs and like, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Uh, pretty credible, I would say, uh, uh, for housewife stuff who said that he had gotten DMS from a woman who was in communication with Juan Dixon, um, that they had, she claims they had a relationship, et cetera. She had a hotel receipt mm-hmm. with his name on it or a, an invoice with his name on it. Um, and it seemed like, Seems somewhat credible, and but we like you never know. People make shit up. I don't, you know, to a certain account. But then Robin goes on her reasonably shady podcast with Giselle after the reunion has already been filmed. By the way, they filmed it like a week or two ago, and basically is like, yeah, the yeah, this actually happened. But claims that and and now she basically says it happened, but says if you want the full story, go to subscribe to our Patreon. Right. Which is was even the more frustrating part of just like you're putting that shit behind a paywall that you're not even talking about on the show. But so not only did you take money out of Bravo's pocket, but then you made sure to line your own pockets by putting it behind a paywall. Right. And 
and so basically what she says is that you know Juan yes was in communications with a woman which he shouldn't have done but that it didn't go anywhere sexual and it wasn't and the only reason that his name is on a hotel invoice is because she need she was flying in and asked him that he that she needed a, a hotel to stay in and that he basically walked in put his credit card down uh charged for it and then left I which doesn't make sense why would you do that Juan is not an idiot, first off. Like, shit like that would show up on his credit card statement and I would have questions. So, he's not an idiot. I, like, this was, I said, I said it online. This was very much like that one season when Ashley was trying to convince everyone. Yeah, Michael went up to the hotel room with that woman, but he says they didn't did, do anything, and I believe him. And they're all just Even like... Even though she had a picture of him in his boxers and that she posted online. And they're just like, really, girl? Like, what, like, really... Um, but that's what Robin claims, which like is so frustrating, particularly the hypocrisy element in, in multitude levels across this group. First, the hypocrisy of Robin to couple episodes, criticize Karen and say, well, we're all of our life gets scrutinized and we're, uh, you know, everything gets put under a microscope. So you're not allowed to skirt conversations and you're not allowed to say, we can't talk about this or I'm not going to talk about this. Also to be fair, um, it's not like Ashley and Giselle didn't know about this. They knew about this happening before filming. Definitely. And cause the woman contacted Giselle. And so like, they knew about this and that's where Chris is also frustrating Candace as well. And Chris has a great point and I'm, I'm fully with Chris on this, which is just like, you're making up bullshit about me all season long. And we're running with that with a storyline all season long, but you're not going to talk about your real shit. And he's uh, and he says he's not as frustrated with Robin as he is with Giselle, which is fair. And like I understand why Robin wouldn't bring it up. I don't agree. I, I here's why. She says, like, this was a tumult. This was during COVID. This was a tumultuous thing in our relationship. It's why we delayed the wedding. There is no reason why she can't talk about that. And in, not in a way to throw one under the bus or not to like relitigate it or whatever, but you should be able to tell us this happened and we got past it. I can understand, again, why she wouldn't want to bring that up on the show and why I think it is valid to not bring that up on the show because Juan already doesn't like being on camera. <laughs> There's that. But he didn't sign up for this show. She did. And he's put up with a lot being on this show, which all the husbands always do, right? They put up with a lot. I would argue that Chris has probably put up with more than most. Sure. Um, but unless what you're doing is happening on camera, like what was happening with Michael Darby, the husband shit kind of needs to not be on the show unless it is brought in by someone else. Then we can talk about it. Then it can be a thing. Well, there's but that nobody brought up Robin's thing and nobody that knew about it was motivated to but that's the thing like she says as well i thought somebody else was going to bring this up on the season so i didn't it didn't come up because no one else brought it up but it implied like carlos king talked about it. he's a former producer for atlanta and jersey and he has his own podcast and he talked about this which is just like this show is now all of you guys just 
going around and trying to spread rumors about another person and take down another person. And like, you're seeing it with Karen and you're seeing it with Candace and you're seeing it with like, there's no, like there's so much calculatedness that it we're, we're the point of housewives is to see your real lives and to see things naturally flow as they may not to, you know, the fact that Robin in her own words expected somebody to bring this up, to try to take her down is like, like that's in itself a problem that, that that's the expectation of this group of people of this franchise, instead of you guys just living your lives and things naturally happening as the way they would naturally happen. Sure. But if this happened between filming seasons, I sure as hell wouldn't bring it up. But I mean, people have made the point of like, look at someone like, and obviously their relationship is dead now, but like, Look at what Shannon Bodor did on on OC and her openness in terms of her issues with David. I think, I don't know. Yes, but I feel like that's very different. David was abusive. David was, this was not a disagreement about where the line is in terms of fidelity in the in terms of Shannon and David this was he was an abusive asshole sure um and he was literally putting her in danger and that is very different than what is happening here on Potomac yeah. like I, I feel like Robin if she doesn't want to bring that up especially if bringing that up on camera is going to jeopardize them even being able to move forward and getting married. I understand why she didn't bring it up. Now she was expecting someone else to, because everybody tells each other's shit on this show. Sure. Um, But in fairness, I think there's also a group of a particular group within the group that is particular with that and avoiding their issue. I I shouldn't even say a group. Giselle. Giselle has been criticized for a couple of seasons now of not showing her full net full spectrum of her life, not showing the sort of grittier parts of it, not showing the, the nastier parts of it, but then critiquing everybody else and focusing on exposing everybody else. Right. And that is an issue, but that, is, that can't be used to then criticize Robin for Giselle's actions. Sure. What we will agree in criticizing Robin for is putting that shit behind a paywall and, Absolutely. and costing Bravo their money when you had already filmed a reunion because you like, uh, particularly after all, it should have come reunion. up at the reunion. That's that's like I think I, I uh, Ray Sani, who I followed, said it best, and it was like that's coward shit. Like, even even if it was out, even if there was no details shared, like obviously we don't know if it's touched on at the reunion. But the but topic, I gener- guarantee you, it doesn't. But the topic generally of Juan and Robin's, like whether or not there is infidelity, is naturally going to come up at the reunion because of the Karen stuff with what happened sort of in the last couple episodes. That's naturally going to come up. So if they don't mention this, that's a problem. Right. And it's not like you're branding Juan as something he wasn't previously. That's why they got divorced. (laughs) Literally. Like Ashley has literally brought it up in past seasons that Juan may have been cheating like at certain points. So it's like, that's like it should have come up at the reunion and she could have protected Juan and said, you know, there was a moment where I thought maybe there could be some cheating happening and we discussed it and 
I believe him when he tells me he didn't and we've moved past it. Yeah. Even if that's as general as we got and we didn't get into the yes, things that are said online are validated. Yes, this woman from Canada was flown in and paid for her. Even if we didn't go through all of that, she could have at least owned up to the fact that yes, that had happened at some point. I'm not going into details because that is my husband. But like... You we gotta, at least need some validation of the fact that we're not crazy. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, so that's, you know, not good. But other than that, this episode of Potomac was great, and I'm excited for the finale. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and then when we come back, we are going to be talking Real Housewives of Miami this week. Don't go anywhere. Well, hello, friends. I'm your pal in the mainstream media. And, and I'm the Riz. And, and you know, Riz, it takes years of strenuous, dedicated training before you're worthy to step inside a professional wrestling ring. But it takes even more time to develop complex, highly astute opinions about professional wrestling. Am I right? That is correct. Yes. And you know where we can find that? Yes. On the Wrestling Man. That's right. Sidekick Media Services. We are your sidekick in business for social media, video production, and more. Find out more at SidekickMediaServices.com. Welcome back once again to A Gay and His NB. We are getting into episode 12 of season 5 of Real Housewives of Miami. Another really fun episode. Again, I think this is one of my favorite franchises. Um, this one is sort of, we get a, a lot of um, uh, Alexia and Nicole sort of finally getting things to come to a head. There have been things kind of bubbling mm-hmm. throughout the season. Um, but things kind of get to a, a real confrontational point because Alexia is upset of what happened at her house with the lawyers, which was crazy. But uh, she thinks that Nicole was very unprofessional in how she acted. Um, I found it really odd that she's like her. She was particularly offended about the whole going into her purse, pulling out her black Amex and putting it in his lap and saying, I'll pay. And she describes it as like, that's something you would do to like a prostitute. I haven't I haven't been to a lot of like um strip clubs or like different like you know that's I not that I, strippers are prostitutes but I I, I think get, actually, I get what you mean I think Sex I misconstrued I misconstrued I think she said strip club actually but like do they use cards I was always where thinking, are they keeping the square like <laughs> is it just like a they're upside down doing the the backwards hanging motion and just pull out the square and just like swipe are they, like are they like oh. Sorry, I'm not in a connection in this spot. Let me move over yeah. a little bit so the Wi-Fi is better. What? I'm like, that metaphor didn't work. Those are the things where Alexia... Like, Alexia will say some things where it's just like, girl... <laughs> I, I got, can't help but laugh. I got really frustrated with that point as well because... Um, it, it was really frustrating that she literally calls this lawyer to the house to use as a prop. Sure. And then gets mad when other people also use him as a prop. Well, my thing too, and so they will move a little bit in the episode because they uh, go to, they have a, what they're calling a gringo dinner where they basically, the husbands who are white, <laughs> like yeah. they all have like a group quadruple date together. Um, and Alexia gets into it with Nicole about this. And my thing was like, you were disrespectful in my home, but like, 
you, everyone was fighting on in your home, including yourself. Like, like I, to me, I meet energy with energy and like, if, I'm not going to sit there and be demure when you're screaming. Yeah. Like, and it, she was getting into it with Adriana about their stuff. Like it was like, this was an environment where everyone was getting heated. So like, why not join in? Yeah. And, um, they get into it at uh, the dinner and like, then it transitions to like Anthony speaking up for Nicole's behalf. And then Todd gets in and starts arguing with Anthony and they start arguing about like, like Todd uh, argues with him about his law practice and stuff like that. Anthony is like, we talked about it before. He is real housewife material. <laughs> he is so shady. Anthony is uh, Nicole's, Nicole's husband. husband. I was really frustrated with Todd, actually. With the framing of his arguments was very much... Um, uh, it was very... I won't say gaslighty because I feel like that word is overused, but um, it was very manipulative in the way that he was arguing and was very disingenuous. He kept moving the goalpost. Sure. Like he kept um, like... It was weird really to see Todd in manipulative th- argument. It was weird to see Todd in this fight. Like we saw him last season get into it with Peter, Alexi's other son. And I was more on Todd's side in that argument of like, mm-hmm. you know, sort of the way that Peter had been acting and kind of rooted for him in that. This just seemed like so weird. And just like the, like, <laughs> but Anthony's like, sort of like, I find it charming, but I can understand why people would be like, think he was like obnoxious or whatever, but just and be like, do you want me to send the lawyer flowers? Do you want me to send him chocolates? <laughs> like, well, yeah, he doesn't need your Godivas. Well, I wasn't going to send him Godivas. <laughs> that was my favorite <laughs> it was No, so I'm going to send him like good shit. Like, <laughs> Anthony. Like, of course you would, cheapskate. Anthony, <laughs> I find Anthony so funny. Like, and and I can understand why, you know, because he has said stuff about, like, Larsa in, like, dinners about her, like, sleeping around and stuff like that. And, yes, like, that's, but, like, I don't know. I love it. I love him and Nicole. I think they're an interesting relationship. Um, and I, that- I also just, while we're on the subject of husbands, I get really irritated with the narrative that husbands should stay out mm-hmm. of housewife arguments because... Number one, it's rooted in misogyny, right? Sure. It's like, oh, a, a man can't argue with a woman. As long as he's, like, not behaving in a misogynistic way, I don't see a problem with him jumping in to defend his wife. Well, I, I get frustrated a lot this season with Chris. Like, people throw that at Chris on, sometimes on Twitter, and I'm like, if Chris is being dragged into this... In Potomac. In Potomac, I should clarify. If Chris is being dragged into this, then he has every right to fucking say Especially what he Especially because all the lies and stuff are about Chris. Yeah. But, so, uh, then Nicole and Alexia, later in the episode, then get together for dinner and sort of hash it out, which, like... We, we, you, we were annoyed by this. I feel like Nicole came into the dinner, honestly, and Alexia, Alexia of all people, policing anyone on how to apologize yeah. is crazy to me. I also, so I, I am an autistic person. Yeah. And um, I, when I am giving an apology, and I don't, I'm not saying that Nicole is autistic, but it is a, it is something that I share with her. I need to explain how I reached a certain place. Yeah. So that when you look at me, you see 
oh, I can understand how this person got there. This is not an echo of their character. We just interpreted something different, which to me is very important to being able to reestablish trust. Right. Um, but uh, Alexia is... Um, she keeps saying, like, well, you're adding a but to your apology, or you're basically trying to say it as... And she's excusing. No, she's not excusing. She's explaining. She's saying, I am sorry, but the reason I was... And she was just... She wasn't trying to undercut the I'm sorry. She was trying to lead with the I'm sorry. I think and, people And mis- say the most important thing of what I'm going to say is the apology. Yeah, I think people misconstrued the difference between an excuse and an explanation a lot. A lot. In life, but particularly on Housewives as well. Um, but they end up getting to a conclusion. They want to be friends. Um, they're planning this big trip to the Bahamas, which looks crazy in terms of everything that we're seeing. Um, there was other great stuff on the episode. I thought this episode, like the, the fighting was fun, but I thought that they had a lot of really poignant moments too, like throughout Mm -hmm. the episode, which I love. Especially around, um, Julia, um, trying to find a, um, an agency that would not only, um, work with same-sex couples, but also with someone of their age. Yeah, because her and Martina are older, and so I like they're trying to find one that would be able to give them what they're looking for. And we, I found it interesting because she was talking with Adriana about it, and Adriana was like, "Well, that's ageist. The people that don't. I don't necessarily think in this case is ageist to be like. I can understand in." Julia's case because Julia's 49. Yes. But Martina's Martina's like, 65. She's 15 years older, so 64. Yeah. If they were to get an infant, that would be a problem. That child would be graduating high school with a parent in their 80s. Yeah. And I feel like that's a problem and you're like intentionally robbing that child of having an adult relationship with their parent. Like, I feel like that is so important for a child to, if there is a healthy relationship, to be able to continue that. And, like, obviously tragedy happens. Like, you can lose a parent to disease. You can have a bitter divorce that makes it to where you can't have a relationship. You can have abuse. But in a healthy relationship between a parent and a child, you want as much time with that parent from the child's point of view, you want as much time with that parent as time will allow. Yeah. And to consciously make a choice to get an, to adopt a child knowing that you will be in the last, like could be a couple years of your life or maybe even and I think already adop- gone by the time that your child graduates high school that's a problem. And I think adoption agencies more do it in terms of like making sure that like you can raise a child. Like, like, right. That I mean, the, obviously, yes, in, that is an issue too. In that regard. But I also thought it was really poignant her talking. Like, she said that she had particularly wanted a child from Russia because that's her homeland, obviously. Right. But, but Russia the, is really homophobic and, and doesn't allow same sex couples to adopt and sort of the frustration of that. Um, and I thought it was also really poignant her talking about like the difference of this in the sense that like while she had three children, 
she never had them with somebody who was actually raising them together. Like Martina came in sort of later in her children's life and like didn't start the process with her and how this hopefully will be something different for her and how she's excited for it in that regard. I thought was really sweet Mm -hmm. and um, uh, really just a good poignant moment. I love these like really serious moments sometimes where you get to really, you know, Love on a housewife. And I think we saw it as well. Like we saw, we complained about Alexia this episode. I really also love the scene with her and Frank. Any scene with her and Frankie, I really love. Yeah. Like. Like I, I love seeing her just like be such a good mom to him. Yeah. Like she's trying really hard and you can see how, you know, obviously for, for um, uh, traumatized she is from his accident. Yeah, so for context um in a in the previous seasons of the show back when it was the original in like 2012, uh her son Frankie was in a car accident, um basically was in a coma at one point. They didn't know if he was going to make it. Um and obviously was able to make it has, you know, done the physical therapy, done all that needed to be done, but else obviously is not his full self that he once was in terms right, of has some mental disabilities as a, as a result, you know, and she talked about it a little bit, like sort of in the early, I remember the early seasons when she was dealing it at very like early points and it was just a real struggle, you know, to sort of get him to where he is now. Um, and they were basically, she's working with this program in Miami that, um, helps, um, these, uh, children sort of transition uh, mm-hmm. and sort of get more responsibility and be able to function a little bit more in society for the off chance that, you know, when Alexia isn't around anymore, that right. they have a, you know, they, they're able to take care of themselves. And it was a really just sweet scene. And, you know, I think, you know, Alexia's relationship with her other son, Peter is kind of scrutinized a lot and sort of her parenting in that regard of how she didn't really like do the best with him and sort of his actions. And, right. but I think like, someone who's been through that much trauma i give them so much grace yeah and not just with frankie like when you look at alexia's whole life like her two marriages the one ending with her husband going to jail for um being a basically a drug dealer and her other husband you know uh, ending up killing himself and then finding out later that he was gay and wasn't able to come to terms with it because he was a politician and he was you know Um, she's been through so freaking much and it's like, it's so great to see that relationship sort of be really pure and, and, and on display. And then we also get a little bit of stuff with Lisa. Uh, there's not too much more information other than what we last saw of Lenny trying to get her out of the house. Essentially. She goes to this, uh, she goes to this strip club with, uh, Larsa and Kiki at one point to try to get her mind off things. Mm-hmm which seemed like an abandoned strip club. <laughs> like it was like there was music and there was house lights, but like almost no one was there. <laughs> it was just really weird to like see this empty room and then they're sitting at a table and then this woman in a thong and fishnets walks up to take their order. And it's like, uh, okay. And they're <laughs> just eating chicken fingers and like wh- chicken fingers and like chicken sliders, I think. And then we find out that Lisa's uh, trainer has dropped her because Lenny's hired him to train the mistress. That's so <laughs> insulting. I hate that man. He is the worst. I hate him. Um, but yes, obviously always still rooting for Lisa and this Bahamas trip looks crazy and insane and chaotic. There's possible injury there's mm-hmm. there's f- throwing of drinks it's gonna be amazing 
Miami is constantly bringing it. And if you're not watching it, you should be uh, over on Peacock. All right. We are at that time in the episode where we discuss our tops and bottoms of the week. Eamon, what are you thinking? My bottom for this week is Robin Dixon. I had to give it to her. Clown behavior. This whole stuff with the podcast. How dare she? How dare she mm-hmm. for a multitude of reasons? I don't think she should be fired, as some people are saying. I think we need to uh, have a more nuanced conversation in that regards. But there definitely needs to be something coming her way of that. Like, but she needs to like have some pay drop because that is if you know. Yeah, I, I mentioned this to you offline, but um, my my thought is she needs to be demoted to friend of at least for a season. They've done it before. Yeah. Vicky Gumbelson got demoted as a retaliatory for her actions. Like, I mean, it's got, sometimes it's got to be done, but my top for this week, um, you know, I'm going to give it to, I'm going to give it to Julia. I, I, I really love the, the conversation about her adoption process. And I think it was, I think we need more moments like that across the housewives franchises. I think that's one thing that is sort of missing in the formula a lot. And, it's she's always captivating. I find her such an interesting person in all regards, not just her personal life and her, you know, being openly lesbian and, and her role in housewives in that regard, but just all of her kookiness and sort of her genuine moments. I, I really enjoyed her a lot this week. What about you? How about your tops and bottoms? So I think my bottom of the week is probably Heather Gay. Yeah, yeah. I I wanted to give it to the judging panel on Drag Race. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, because there was some bonanca, <laughs> bonker, banana, pa- what? I can't. You, I think you combined There's those There's some two. crazy stuff going on in my brain right now. Um, but there were some bonkers, banana pants, um, judging ruling things happening over on drag race this week that um really frustrated me but um but heather i just i can't like for someone who i really have enjoyed in seasons past to really take the nosedive that she has this season um and then for it to be reiterated that apparently i mean this is according to whitney but Apparently, she goes on to um, do the same on girls. Do trip. the same on Ultimate Girls Trip uh, in Thailand. Yes, that, yeah, uh, in Thailand, and it just—it's just really, really frustrating to see her fall this far. Um, I hope she can turn things around next season, but I don't have high like I don't have high hopes for it. But I hope. Um. My top for the week, um, I'm going to go with, um, with Nicole yeah. on Miami. Um, I really enjoy her anyway, but this week I felt like she really owned up to, you know, what Alexia was saying. It was like, look, I, I made a mistake and I will, I will own that. Um, but she also stood her ground and was like, I didn't know that you were upset. So how can you expect me to apologize for something that I did not know was an issue? Yeah. Like, you have to bring it to me first. I have no problem apologizing when I am in the wrong, but I need to know I'm in the wrong. 
like, how am I supposed to do something if I don't know I'm in the wrong? So I, I love the fact that she was able to stand her ground, but also apologize when it was needed. Yeah. And I thought that was really classy and really a good example of how housewives should be behaving across the board. That, yeah. that was very classy, in my opinion. I agree. Hey, thanks for joining us this week on A Gay and His Envy. Tune in next week for more of our recaps and hot takes. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you're listening. And check us out on our social media at A Gay and His Envy on all the platforms. A special shout out to Shane Ivers, who wrote Pulsar, the song we're using for our theme. For my husband, Eamon, I'm Merlin, and we're out. This show is a member of the Sorgatron Media Podcast Network. Find out more at sorgatronmedia.com.